Thank you for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is using Adventure Church to speak into your life. If you have a story you'd like to share, please do so at adventure.church slash mystory. Also, if you'd like to support Adventure Church financially, you can do that online and help us bring messages just like this one to you each and every week. Today's message is from our series called Better Half. In this series, we're taking on the complex world of love and relationships by asking ourselves what it means to be a better me. Now let's prepare our hearts to hear a word from God. Well, hey, welcome to Adventure Church. If you're new today, my name is Kyle. I'm the lead pastor here. We like to have fun here at Adventure Church. It's actually one of our core values. We think that following God is fun, so occasionally we like to do that. You've got to come back next week for another special song that we have for uh, the final part of our Better Half series. But I hope all of you had a great Valentine's Day and celebrated with those that you love this week, or better yet, Singles Awareness Day for some of you. Come on, if you're, if you're single and you're proud of come on, let me just see your hands up, all right? Now look, everybody look around, look around, all right? Maybe next year, maybe next year. Next year it could be, uh, you know, a little connection made at Adventure Church. There is something in the water. We've got a lot of weddings happening around here, so uh, it's a great place to be if you're single. But regardless of where you're at in relationship status today, uh, we're going to continue with the Better Half series, and today's message especially will uh, be very relevant to all of us in our relationships uh, because the focus is on us and not the other person. So pop culture Hollywood says this, two halves make a whole, right? That you have these two separate people, these two halves, and it's this whole, you complete me. And when I was growing up, there was a movie called Jerry Maguire, and this idea, and I call it the Jerry Maguire myth, was made very famous. And in fact, instead of me trying to explain the clip to you, let's just watch Tom Cruise at his best with Renee Zellweger and Jerry Maguire. Let's take a look real quick. Our little project, our company, had a very big night. A very, very big night. But it wasn't complete. wasn't nearly close to being in the same vicinity as complete because I couldn't share it with you. I couldn't hear your voice or laugh about it with you. I miss my, I miss my wife. We live in a cynical world, a cynical world. And we work in a business of tough competitors. I love you. You? Hello. You had me at hello. Everybody say, oh, oh, Jerry Maguire, Tom Cruise in your living room, letting you know 
that you are the one that completes his life, right? Right? That's Hollywood. That's pop culture. That is the myth that we all can easily buy into if we don't carefully look at Scripture and what it tells us on how we are to live our lives. Because if you go into a relationship thinking that the other person is going to complete you, that they're going to be the one to make your life whole, let me just tell you, you're dead wrong. That's not how you were wired. That's not how you were designed. Only God can complete you. Only God can complete you. Your spouse or significant other is a flawed human that will continually fall short of your expectations. Now, I'm not saying that you don't have a very meaningful relationship and that, that they don't, you know, you know, make your life better in so many ways. Jess does that for me. And, and Jess and I are, are very much opposites. Uh, you know, the old phrase that, you know, when you are dating, opposites attract, and when you get married, opposites attack, right? That's kind of what happens. And, and for Jess and I, we're, we're very much like that. But, but I, can't, I can't depend on her to complete something in me that only God was designed to fill. And she can compliment me, and man, does she ever compliment me in so many ways, but she can't complete me. Only God can complete you. And so if, 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 if we go into a relationship trying to rely on our spouse to do something for us that only God was created and designed to do, we're going to continually be frustrated. Now, although I am as close to a God as you could probably get, right, babe? She, you should see the look on her face. I, I, I fall w- way short of his standards, of, of what he was designed to do for Jess and what he was designed to do for me. You see, culture focuses on finding this one that will complete us. Scripture focuses us to become the right one Why we allow God to complete us. And that's where our focus has to be, is on us. You've heard this explanation before, probably. But if you go into relationships, there's always going to be a certain expectation that you have. And if you go into it thinking that, you know, your husband is going to be like Tom Cruise and, you know, Ryan Gosling in The Notebook, and you're going to have this fantasy, fairy tale relationship, there's going to be some, some expectations that probably aren't met. And in life, no matter what relationship, no matter if it's how, you're, with how you view your work, your job, whatever it is, there's always an expectation that you have. This is what I expect to happen. Then there's always reality, what you experience. So there's an expectation, and then there's what you're actually experiencing. This gap is called frustration, right? That's what it is. And so if I go into anything, a relationship, what we're focusing on today, with a certain expectation, and that expectation isn't being met... I'm going to be continually frustrated. And many of you have been frustrated in your relationships because you're expecting your spouse to fill something in you that only God can fill, that only God can do. He is the one that completes you. Colossians 2, 9 through 10 says this, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. So you are also complete. Look at your neighbor and say complete. Complete through your union with Christ. You become complete, not in your union with your spouse, but in your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler in authority. 
So culture says two halves make a whole. Scripture says two wholes make a better half. Two lives, two individuals fully surrendered, wholly committed to Jesus, giving their heart fully to him is the best thing that you can do. You see, the best thing you can do for your marriage is to fall in love with someone else. Jesus. To fully give all that you are to him. And our hearts must be fully surrendered to Jesus. Jesus has to be at the center of the relationship for the relationship to be healthy. He has to be the one at the center. When I do weddings and premarital counseling, we talk about the scripture where Paul says, the two become one. And he's describing like when you enter into a relationship, you better make sure that you're aligned in certain areas. You're aligned with your values and how you view the world and your perspective on the world and your perspective on God and your perspective on raising children and all those values because when you join your two lives together, those two are becoming one. And he says, look, a believer, someone who is following after Jesus can't join their life to an unbeliever and expect that there isn't going to be tension and conflict. And so we join our lives together. But Jess and I are opposites in so many ways, right? Like, we'll be married 10 years this fall. We'll, we'll have been married 10 years, so we're, we're working on 10. It's a, it's a milestone, right? Like, hey, wow, 10 years we've been together. And there's things about me that she would love to, to see changed that haven't changed in 10 years. There's things about her that I will, babe, if you just did this, if you were more like me, why can't you just be like me? I like the house to be this way. You like the house to be this way. I like to go this way place. You like to go this place. And, and we're opposites on so many ways. And so I'm trying to make her more like me. She's trying, but we're opposites in so many ways. And that's great because opposites compl- complement each other. They surely don't complete each other. They complement each other. Where I'm weak, Jess is in a lot of areas, she's strong. And where she's weak, a lot of areas, I'm strong. That's the beauty of being married to someone, of having that partner in life. But if Jesus isn't the center of our relationship, if he's not the one that ties the two together, there's going to be constant tension. Because Jess wants to go one way, I want to go another way. But Jesus, if he's at the center, if our lives are surrendered to him, the two can become one, and the two can live up to the standard that God has for us when it comes to our marriage relationship. Because contrary to what culture says, and pop culture and Hollywood and what we see and what we listen to, God does have a standard for love that really is impossible to achieve if we're not surrendered to him, if Jesus isn't at the center of our life. Let's listen to the, how the Apostle Paul described love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. This is a passage I read probably at every wedding that I do. It says this, love is patient and kind. Man, Really? I missed that. I, I, I don't, I'm not always patient and kind with my wife. That's not good. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. <sighs> Haven't hit the mark there either. Does not demand its own way. <laughs> it's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. This is the love 
This is what I read at weddings where people make a vow to one another to live to this standard. And it's impossible unless Jesus is at the center. Unless we're focused more on becoming who we're supposed to be. And if you're single, instead of finding who you want. And then once we get married, that the focus stays on becoming who God wants us to be. Then on trying to fix and make someone else become what we want them to be. You see, you can't love like this on your own. But with God's power, with his Holy Spirit, with a life surrendered to him, he can give you the capacity to love this way. Some of us, though, we need God to do a huge work in our heart. Some of you, because of past relationships and experiences and hurts, your heart has been hardened. And you've taken those pains and those mistakes and those things into new relationships and and there's this continual tension that you have and this inward wrestling match that's happening on the inside of you because of what's happened to you in the past. In Ezekiel, prophet was speaking to, to Israel and he says, I will give you a new heart, these people who were away from God, and I will put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender and responsive heart. How many of you would love to have a tender and responsive instead of stony and stubborn, right? Because I probably connect more with the stubborn heart. And God says, so you, you need a new heart. You need me to do a work in your life. And so I'll put my spirit in you so that you will follow these decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So he says, you need a heart transplant. You need God to do a work in your life. You need God to remove the old and put in the new. And the only way that happens is when you surrender your life to the Holy Spirit. And you allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in you. You see, in any relationship, it takes two. And we're going to talk about the two next week. But today, we're going to talk about you. You see, it takes two, but it starts with you. It takes two, but it starts with you. It starts with you allowing Christ to do the work that he needs to do in you. As Jake talked about last week and and really kind of the process on how God works in our lives. It always starts here. It starts in our heart. And if our hearts aren't in a position to receive God, if our hearts aren't in a position to allow God to work in us, he can never work through us. If we don't allow God's love to do his work in us first, there's no way we can allow him to love through us the way that he wants us to love. It's impossible. It won't work. We have to allow God to do that. And you can't love like Christ until Christ is the love of your life, until you put him at the center of what you do. In Ephesians chapter 5, we find a chapter where Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, and he's given them instructions on how their relationships should work now that they are Christ followers, now that they started this church. And he says, look, this is how you should relate to one another. Those of you who claim to be Christ followers, these is, this is how the relationship should work. And he talks about husbands and wives and parents and children, how we relate to one another. But before he gets into the instructions on how we are to relate together, He says this in verse 15. So be careful how you live. Don't live like a fool. Live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. 
Don't be drunk with wine because it will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instead of allowing the world to dictate what you do and and your philosophy and your approach to relationships, get filled with the Holy Spirit. You have to make a choice to allow the Holy Spirit to control your life. The emphasis is always on our surrender to the Holy Spirit. Then he goes on and says, here's here's the the Spirit-guided relationships. This is what people who are surrendered to the Spirit, this is what their relationships look like. Verse 21. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this is what it means to submit to your husbands as you submit to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of his church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. And all the men said, amen. I've been telling you, woman. I've been telling you. This is how you live on love. Just do what I want you to do. Right? And see, Paul knew that men would get all crazy and think, yeah, see, this is exactly right. We would totally get along if you just submitted to me in everything that we did. This would be amazing. Right? But he doesn't stop there. And listen, women, like, I get this. We live in a world where, look, you're valued, your opinion matters, you should feel that, you should feel empowered. Scripture empowers you more than anything else. But in any organization, right, there's always a CEO. There's someone who leads the organization into the future, into the vision that God has. And God has a vision for the family unit. He has a vision for the way families should work with a husband and a wife leading away in their marriage and support. And he says, man, you're going to be the one that's supposed to lead. you got to be the one that leads the family. you got to be the one that sets the tone and the example. And then he goes on and he says this, so, so, so ladies, let's submit, let's allow the man to lead. Don't fight him on it. Allow him to lead if he leads like this. Verse 25. Husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her. So it's this idea of mutual submission, Paul says. So husbands, when you lead like Jesus, when you begin to lead your marriage the way Jesus led the church, no greater love than this than he who's willing to lay down his life, that's what Jesus did, willing to sacrifice to put others before himself, even though he was deserving of all the praise and honor and glory because he was the son of God, he considered equality with God not to be something that he should go for, but humbled himself, became a servant, and became obedient to death, Paul said, and even that death was on a cross, was crucifixion, the worst death that you could possibly endure, that Jesus was willing to put you before him even though he didn't need to. And he says, men, this is how Jesus led. This is how he loved. And if you love like that, if you serve your spouse like that, if you lead your relationships the way that Jesus led the relationships, there'll be no problem submitting to one another. I'm totally willing to submit my life to Jesus and follow him because he gave it all for me. And when we take that approach, Paul says, into our relationships, and that is what a spirit-guided relationship looks like. That's what a a husband and wife should look like when the Holy Spirit is leading the relationship. But Paul starts all of that out with this. He takes away the excuse right away. He says, and you are to submit to one another, this mutual submission, we're going to talk more about that next week, out of your reverence for who? Christ. 
He didn't say out of reverence for your spouse, out of the vow you made at the altar, out of the commitment you made, submit to her. Why? Because he knows, like, look, my wife is as near perfect as you can get. I promise you. I've never heard her say a cuss word in my life. Like, like she's a saint. The woman is sacrificial. She very much puts others before herself all the time. But there's days that she still drives me a little crazy, right? And I drive her crazy. That's what happens when two separate people join their lives together. And as close as she gets, Paul says, look, there's going to be days where you submit and you serve her out of your love for her. But even when you don't feel it, you continually submit because you do it out of your reverence for Jesus, not for her, not for me. I submit to her and lead and follow the example that Jesus gave to us because that's what he did for me. Because you're not always going to feel like submitting. You're not always going to feel like putting someone else's interest above your own. But that's what we're called to do. A few weeks ago, we went out with uh, some friends, Jess and I did, and um, I'll just be honest with you, I wasn't in a good mood. Anybody else ever have a day you're just not in a good mood, right? So I didn't feel like going out. I didn't want to go and we had to arrange childcare, and we had to go here and go there just to do this. And then, you know, so I was already frustrated going into it. Then we show up and, you know, the, it just wasn't going to plan where I was at the restaurant. They didn't have what I wanted, blah, blah, blah. And so I just got in a worse mood and I'm all like, rah, 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 I don't want to be here, da, da, da. And so we were getting in the car to, to meet somewhere else and to get in the car and, you know, Jess is, you know, just kind of giving me the the evil eye a little bit, you know, and, and I go, I can't believe this, you know, I knew we shouldn't have done blah, 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 and she goes, you know what, you're embarrassing me, and I was like, oh, really, I'm embarrassing you, oh, I'm so sorry that I embarrassed you, don't you care about how I feel, you know, and then we had some more dialogue, okay, can you take me off my pedestal now, and you're like, I, yeah, he is just like me, okay, right, and then later that night, I was like, you know what? I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I had a terrible attitude, and, and that, that shouldn't have been my approach. I had to make a choice to change my attitude because my flesh said, you guys should be putting me before you. I don't want to eat here. <laughs> I don't like this place. Nothing in me wanted to go, yeah, I hate this food but I will willingly eat it for you because you all love it so much. I'm just happy to put you before myself. That's what a good servant does. Praise, bless God, blessings, love you, right? I I didn't want to do that. Nothing in me wanted to do that. Paul describes this. You see, love is biblically defined as you before me. That's love. That's what Jesus says. That's what Paul is saying. It's putting someone else before yourself. But there's nothing in me that wants to love like that. Paul talks about this conflict in Galatians chapter 5, where he talks about how you have your spirit, the allowing the spirit to control your lives. And he says, this is the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in you. And it's very similar to the description of love that Paul gives in chapter 13. Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And he says, this is the standard of love, but if the Holy Spirit isn't controlling you, you're not going to live that way. 
It's going to be the opposite. If I allow my flesh and what's natural to me to dictate how I respond relationally with people, I'm going to fall short every time. But there's no way that I can live at this level, that this standard of love, if I'm not allowing the Holy Spirit to control my life. It's you before me. It says this, that we are to be sacrificial in the way that we love, just as Jesus was sacrificial in the way he loved us. But I can't love sacrificially while living selfishly. And I am naturally selfish. So I can't live selflessly until my life is surrendered to the Holy Spirit. I can't love sacrificially while living selfishly. There's no way to get rid of the selfishness that I have until I surrender that to the Holy Spirit. And I allow him to live through me, his spirit doing a work in me, living through me. That's the standard of love. That's the approach we have to take into our relationships. And Paul says when you do this, when you enter a relationship not with the expectation that Tom Cruise is going to complete you, but you enter into it realizing you're a flawed human, I'm a flawed human. If we just try to tie ourselves together without Jesus, we're going to constantly have tension and unmet expectations. But if I allow Jesus to be at the center of my life, where I am wholly submitted to him and you are wholly submitted to him, that these two holes make a better half with Jesus at the center. That I tie myself to Jesus and his spirit and allowing him to do the work. And when both people enter a relationship with that mentality, that attitude, that kind of determination, that's when marriages flourish. That's when people can see love that truly lasts. So how do you do this? How do you live selfless and surrendered to the Holy Spirit? You gotta be surrendered to the Holy Spirit to live selfless. How do you do that? I'm gonna give you three quick practical things today. I was having lunch with someone or meeting with someone this week and they're like, you know, I hear these terms all the time, you know, live surrendered to the Holy Spirit. But what does that mean, right? Like, what do you do? Like, do I just go, okay, I'm surrendered, you know, one time and it's over and he takes control? What does that look like in our life? First thing you need to do is this, three practical applications, is you have to connect with God consistently. I almost put continually but I didn't want to freak some of you out. What do you mean continually? Like every moment of my day, I'm just attached, connected with God. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, the Apostle Paul instructs them to pray without ceasing. You're like, well, so I just literally go through my whole life with my hands folded, my head bowed, talking to God. That's all I do. Well, no, of course not. You couldn't fulfill the plan that God has for you doing that, but it can be somewhat confusing because you obviously can't do be in a posture of prayer all the time but but Paul isn't referring to a non-stop talking but rather an attitude of God consciousness God awareness where that I'm surrendered to the Holy Spirit all the time where I'm connected consistently with him that that every waking moment that I have that that I'm aware that God is with me And that he's actively involved in my life and actively engaged in my thoughts and my decisions and how I act. That he is there with me. And that I need to submit to what he would want me to do, to be surrendered to that. 
But you can't do that unless you are connected with him consistently. In John 15, Jesus instructs us, these are, these are red-letter words in your Bible, where Jesus instructs us on how we have to remain in him. This is what he says. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. The fruit that we want, the type of love that we want in our relationships if we're connected to Christ. But he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. With me, you can have the fruit, the fruit that you want. But if you aren't connected with me, you're going to lack the power, even the ability, to do what I've called you to do. Some of you are trying to, to, to reach standards in your relationships and to live out this thing. You know this is the way you're supposed to live, but you continually fall short. You continually miss the mark, and you're like, why is this happening? How come I can't do this? Why am I continually defaulting to my selfishness? I know this isn't what I'm supposed to do. And I would ask you, how connected are you to Christ? How much time do you spend with him? See, he didn't come. This isn't about a religion. Jesus came so that you could have a relationship with your heavenly father. And that comes through spending time, just like any relationship. And I know this is basic, and I know it seems kind of, you know, just one of those cliche religious things to say. You gotta, you gotta pray. You gotta talk to God. You gotta read the Bible. But those are essential to how we relate with one another. Jesus is saying, apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you aren't consistently connecting with me, having time where it's just you and God, where you open up his word, and you begin to read what his word says and how it instructs you. There's power in that. It's transformational to your heart and to your life. I think we got to get back to those days. You guys remember the, the WWJD wristbands, right? Genius, right? How easy was that? Somebody made millions on that. I say we bring it back. But the whole idea, the concept was that you put something on your wrist that you saw consistently that made you ask the question, what would Jesus do? And if we ask that question, and that's, again, being aware that God is with us, that he is with you, so you might as well acknowledge that he's there. You may as well acknowledge that he has a certain way that he wants you to live. And if we submit to that and go, what would you do in this situation? Think about if you applied WWJD to your relationship. When they make you mad and they drive you crazy and you want to react and you go, what would Jesus do? Oh, he wouldn't react, would he? He would, selfish, he would sacrificially put them before himself. He would allow them to do what they need to do. He would just focus on himself, not on changing them, right? What would Jesus do? But you can't do what Jesus would do if you aren't connected to him. Is that making sense? He said it's impossible. So quit trying to do it on your own. You can't. Connect with him. Find time. Acknowledge him. Be there. I do that just in, when I'm, I know I'm going to a meeting. I know I'm, I have things going on where I just acknowledge, Spirit, allow myself to get out of this. I pray that you would take control of this meeting. Give me wisdom. Be here. Give me discernment. Just acknowledging, allowing him to work. you got to do that. Second thing you need to do is you got to give God permission to work in you. If we rewind just a couple verses in John 15, Jesus said, I am the true grapevine. The Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more fruit. So God is the gardener of our life. He wants us to produce fruit. Jesus said, you can produce good fruit 
the fruit that's selfless, that's sacrificial, when you're connected to me. But you also have to allow God to do his work in you. You have to give him permission to work. A few years ago, I had surgery on my shoulder, and I, had, I put it off for a couple years. I had injured it somehow, wasn't really sure how I injured it, I think lifting weights, and I had had some issues in it. So I went to the doctor, they did an MRI, and they said, yeah, there's definitely some stuff wrong in there, but it's not really conclusive. We won't know until we kind of go in and see what's going on. He goes, but I could give you a cortisone shot for now, and that'll help with the pain. And I was like, surgery or a shot? I'll take the shot, please, you know? So he gives me a shot, pretty much just numbs it, wears off in a few months. I got another shot, wore off, and I was continually just back in pain, just back to where I was. It would usually even get worse. And so finally, I met my deductible and my insurance, and I was like, I'm going to get this fixed, you know? So I go in and, and doing the, the prep thing, and I had to sign a waiver to say, I give you permission to do surgery on my shoulder. And they asked me like 20 times which shoulder it was. Yes, my left shoulder. Yes, my left. Apparently, they sometimes mix it up and get sued over it. I don't know what the big deal is, but they're like, yes, my left shoulder. Yes, this one. I want you to fix this shoulder. But the reason I delayed it is because I didn't want to go through surgery. Because surgery is painful, then there's rehabilitation, there's rehab. i got to put in all this work to get it back. Well, just numb it. Just keep it numb, and then I won't have to go through all that. And that's a lot of what we do in our life. You have to. The surgeon would not cut and fix it until I said, you have permission to do so. It's the same way with the Holy Spirit. Look, some of you, your hearts are hardened. You've been hurt, and you just keep numbing it with different things. I numb it, I numb it, I numb it. And you never allow the surgeon, the Holy Spirit, to come in and fix it. Because it's painful. The pruning process is painful. He's cutting out dead stuff, fixing things that need to work. And God needs to fix your heart, but you've got to give him permission to do it. So instead of resisting the work of the Holy Spirit, because yes, it will bring up old things. Yes, it will be painful. Yes, there'll be some rehabilitation on the the back end and some recovery time after he does his work but thankfully today because I allowed the doctor to do that my shoulder's fine and I can do everything I need to do because I allowed him to fix it but the longer I resisted the worse it got and the longer you resist the Holy Spirit from allowing him to do the work that he needs to do in you the harder it's going to be you need to give him permission he ain't going to do it on his own he's God is a gentleman He only goes where he's invited. And so you have to allow him to do that work in you. And lastly, you need to fix yourself first. To be surrendered to the Holy Spirit, you gotta connect with him consistently. That's your your lifeline. That's the power you need. You gotta give him permission to work on you. And then you have to focus on you rather than them. And some of you are like, whatever. You don't know my spouse. They got a lot of work. Until they work on them, I ain't working on me. I don't need worked on. They need worked on. They need to let the surgeon do some work in their life. They're going to be in the hospital a long time. (laughs) He's got a lot of work to do. He's going to need multiple surgeons. It ain't just the shoulder. It's a lot of stuff, right? They need the work. Listen, I can already tell you, if that's your mentality towards it, you need a lot of work too. You need a lot of work too. And so we have to focus on allowing God to fix us first. I got plenty of issues that God needs to work on in me so that I can be the spouse that he requires me to be, that I can be the servant that he requires me to be for my wife and for my kids. 
I need to allow him to do that work. I have to focus on myself. Here's a news flash. If you've been married longer than five minutes, you've probably already realized that you can't change them. As much as you try, it just doesn't work. There's been 10 years of changing trying to happen with me and Jess. I'm still the same. So is she. And if I was willing to invest that energy that I have invested in trying to get her to be more like me on myself and allowing God to do that work on me, we'd be a lot further along. And so you have to quit trying to change them, wasting that energy and time, and begin to allow God to change you. And in the meantime, you're praying for them. And if you invest the energy into praying for your spouse as you do in trying to change them, I believe you'd see a lot more results. Because when you try to change them without God being involved in the process, guess what you are? Annoying. (laughs) That's it. That's it. But if you go, you know what, I'm going to focus on me. I'm going to connect with Christ consistently. And your spouse begins to see you get up early and spend time in the word. Begins to see you praying and leading by example. And notices that you aren't bothering them quite as much anymore. They're going to see the change in you. And then as you're praying for them, that's going to be a motivating thing to go, wow, they're putting in work. Maybe I need to put them in a little work. Maybe I need to do this too. You take care of you. You allow God to take care of them. You do that by focusing on yourself, fixing yourself first, and allowing God to do what he needs to do in them. Listen, it takes two, and I'm not denying that, okay? And we're going to talk more about that next week, but it starts with you. It takes two, no doubt, but it starts with you.